This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. Welcome to another edition of Around the Rim podcast with your host, LaChina Robinson, who is playing hooky as she usually does. So I am your producer, Tarika Foster Brasby, and I'm excited to be here with you on Final Four Week. We are so excited about the matchups that have been set for us. And to help us get into the discussion, we have wonderful Pac-12 Network's women's basketball play-by-play announcer and analyst, Cindy Brunson, representing the Pac-12 always and forever, helping us to guest host today. Hey, Cindy, how are you? Hey, T, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. We know LaChina is as busy as any one human being can be, and I'm more than honored to step in and try to fill those shoes for her this afternoon. I really appreciate you having me. Well, we are excited to have you here. I think this may be the first, is this the first time that we've had you on the podcast? I believe so. Yeah. No way. A couple of times before. So, yeah. So looks like there's a lot of firsts coming out of Arizona this week. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks again for joining us. I know you're excited to get into the conversation. I'm excited to have you. I have to give the China some slack because that's just kind of what we do here on Around the Rim. But we also have some other special guests joining us. So, Cindy, please take it away. All right. I'd love to introduce my colleague and friend, Michelle Smith. She just holds it down for us. Writer extraordinaire. I know she writes for a bunch of different outlets, way too many to name or remember, quite frankly. (laughs) But I always follow her on Twitter. She is a fantastic follow. If you want to know what's happening, particularly on the West Coast and the Back 12, Michelle Smith is the follow. And then Alexis Alexa Philippou, oh my goodness, Twitter buddies, I feel like I know you all, writer for the Hartford Current, everything and anything UConn, that is the source, Alexa has it on lock, in fact, as we were getting ready for this Zoom call, she was telling us that she gets extra access to the players in the locker room, so I mean, if you want the 411 on what's going on with Gino and the Huskies, Alexa is the business. Well, thank you for having us on. I'm so excited to talk hoops with you guys. All yeah, like- I'm excited too. This is good. This is the best time of year. All right. So it is the best time of year. You know, I am losing my mind over the fact that Adia Barnes is in a final four with Arizona. I cannot express how awesome it is that Ari McDonald is getting to shine on this stage. It means more than I can even put into words because she is such a special player. And we have known this, Michelle can attest to, on the West Coast forever. Uh, But because of the lack of reach sometimes of the Pac-12 network, the nation hasn't been able to see what a special player Aerie is. And so the fact that she is being able to show up and show out has been so phenomenal. Of course, Arizona is going to have a tall task facing UConn. We will get to that in a bit because it's game two. So let's start with game one of the final four. It is Stanford, it is South Carolina. It is one versus one. I am rooting for Stanford. I'm just, you know, T calls me out all the time for being a back club homer. I don't know how I knew that that's where she was going with this. At least you're transparent. But let me tell you why. I had Stanford this season. And hands down, 
the Cardinal are the best team I have seen top to bottom. And I think the semifinal, you know, the elite eight matchup showed us why the depth of that bench, there were issues, there were problems, there were misses at the rim, three pointers weren't falling. And all of a sudden Ashton Prechtel puts on a superhero cape and comes in and saves the day and doesn't miss a freaking shot. That's what Stanford brings to the table, length and ability to hit. They've already hit 53 pointers in the NCAA tournament this season. So I'm all in on Stanford. So Michelle, I will pivot to you, your keys to this first game of the semifinals between Stanford and South Carolina. Well, for starters, Stanford can't come out like they came out against Louisville, right? Like, and that was, and that was a little shocking to me because they've been very consistent. They don't, you know, yeah, I mean, the number of shots they missed at the rim was crazy. It was just, they're so, they've been so consistent and, you know, they, the things that they do well, they seem to do well every game and they've shot the three so well in the tournament. You know, you can't, there's no expectation that a team's going to come out and hit 12 and 13 threes a game. Like, it's just, that is a really high bar. And I don't think that that's what I'm talking about in terms of consistency. They just didn't look like Tar said. I didn't recognize the people in those uniforms. They looked really tight. And I felt for Kiana Williams. She wants this in her hometown so bad and you could feel it off of her. And so the first thing is they can't play like that. They have to come out loose and you have to hope that maybe that now that Kiana's gotten her team to the final four, maybe she can release that a little bit because, you know, we all know that elite game, that elite eight game is almost the toughest game to win the entire tournament for teams because it's the one that puts you in the final four. And so maybe hopefully key lets go of that demon and she can just play loose because when she's loose, they're so good. And they're so deep and they're so versatile and you can bring Ashton Prechtel off the bench and you can bring Hannah jump off the bench. I mean, Hannah jumps had big games where she just comes in and she bombs away from three and, you know, and Fran Belibi, you bring Fran Belibi off the bench, right? I mean, <laughs> this is a really, really deep team. I think the question mark at this point is Cameron Brink. Um, they, you know, Tara said this morning, she tweaked her leg and they are, um, they think that she's good to go, but they're, you know, they're going to practice today because she's been a really key part for the things that they do well, but they're going to have to rebound. Um, They're going to have to, you know, and they're going to have to play the kind of defense that they played in the second half against Louisville. They locked it down. Like for me, that was what changed the game. Like the threes were big. What Prechtel did is big, but what they did on the defensive end, those long possessions where Louisville couldn't get a shot off and they were just, you know, they rode that defense to, long enough so that they could hit some shots and get back in the game. And so that's, what's going to have to happen. All right, Alex, I'm going to turn to you for the South Carolina take because you have seen them more because of the matchups against UConn. So what are the keys for the Gamecocks? Well, I've been really impressed with South Carolina's defense all season. And, and although at times it's been maybe more inconsistent and we can point to the, the Texas game in the Elite Eight, I mean, they literally held Texas to no points in the fourth quarter, which is literally, I, I mean, unheard of, right? So that is, that can only give any, you know, Gamecock fans listening to this confidence um, going up against Stanford. And we saw when Louisville in the first half was playing pretty good defense against Stanford in that Elite Eight game, Stanford struggled. And I, if, if South Carolina can continue with that sort of defensive intensity and they love to get going in transition, right? They use your, their defense to fuel their offense, then that's only going to help them gain momentum early. So I'm really intrigued to see how the kind of matchup of Stanford's offense versus South Carolina's defense goes. 
And then obviously we have to talk about Aaliyah Boston. And I think at times, and I'm interested to hear what you guys think about this, but you know, personally, I feel like sometimes I think to the end of the UConn South Carolina game, they don't always go to Aaliyah Boston enough. Like the ball to me should be in her hands. If the game's on the line, um, especially in like a final four game or a national title game, you got to get the ball into Aaliyah Boston's hands and in the post. Sometimes she likes, she's out in the perimeter. No, you got to get her in the post. So I'm interested to see if they can continue to just really feed off and thrive off of their best player. I mean, Aaliyah Boston was a first team All-American this year. And she, I mean, some people would even say she had a better, last year was even her better season than this year. So um, when you have Aaliyah Boston on your team, that's your centerpiece for success. Well, but what I think is going to be interesting about that is, is when you have a team that has a centerpiece, Tara's magical power is taking your centerpiece away and making somebody else beat you. Like it, you know, that's what they do. That's how they scout. That's how they game plan. Right. And Aliyah's going to face Aliyah's, you know, Aliyah's super talented and she's bigger, but she's going to face a volume of big players, long, you know, arms and legs and a lot of big players that are going to swarm her every time she gets the ball. And, you know, how's that going to go? Like, I mean, I think that that's where the key to the matchup is, is I think it may lay in the, lie in the depth and how much, you know, how many bodies Stanford can bring in Aaliyah Boston over the course of the game. They're going to bring Fran and they're going to bring Ashton Prechtel and they're going to bring Brink in. Obviously, if she's healthy, they've got I mean, they just have a collection of bodies. I mean, Haley Jones, is a big girl, right? Mm-hmm. Like they've got a collection of bodies and they know where they're supposed to be on the floor. So I'll be interested to see the degree to which Tar does what she usually does, which is take your best player away and say, now who's going to beat us? I think key for me too is Haley Jones' defense. She has got to contribute on the defensive end of the floor. Mm -hmm. She's so special offensively. We know her three-point game will come along. She'll work on that this summer. That's really the only weakness that uh, she shows up statistically. But she has got to defend. Like Michelle said, that length, is formidable and she has to maximize it uh, like everybody else does on the roster. Anna Wilson gets that wingspan as far as she can go. And so does Kiana Williams and the whole sisters, they maximize their length. And I haven't seen Haley Jones do that yet. And I would love to see her do it against South Carolina to get Stanford into the championship game. Cause you know, at the end of the day, guys, I'm all about Tar Vanderveer winning the national title for the first time since 1992 to get her third chip, I think would speak volumes for what she has done, not just for women's basketball, but in particular for Pac-12 women's basketball. She elevates everybody. She was on the phone with Joan Bombasini yesterday, complimenting Joan on Adia and how Joan, you know, coached her up and got her ready for this opportunity and imploring Joan to come to San Antonio, which Bombasini is doing right now. She is driving. She wasn't going to go because of COVID. And Tara's like, look, you've got inoculated. You cannot miss this. Please come to San Antonio. And so Joan Bombasini is driving to San Antonio. It is awesome. Um, But that's just who Tara is. I, for the longest time, was hesitant to get a dog. Uh, Because I thought the schedule was crazy. I didn't know if it could work. And Tara, at a game, pre-game, pre-game, talked me into getting a dog. I mean, she just, she is such an exceptional human being. And she's like, look, I don't know how many more times I get to do this. I'm 62. Who knows? Maybe I can coach forever. I don't know. But I really feel like this is Tara's best team that she's ever had. And her best opportunity to be the first 
in this juggernaut that has been the Pac-12 since what, 2013-ish? I'm gonna say yes, because that's when I moved back into the footprints <laughs> um, to finally get over the hump and, and to get that chip. I, I think that would mean the world to Tara, to the conference. Uh, Michelle, you can chime in, you have a relationship. Well, with I, I agree, I agree that, I agree. And I also know how much respect she has for Dawn. Dawn played for her on that 96 Olympic team. That South Carolina is the last team to beat them in the final four in 2017 in Dallas. I mean, like they, you know, and that was an Asia Wilson team. And that was obviously, you know, that was a, that's a different, those are different teams and different matchups. But I know that, you know, Tara has tremendous respect for South Carolina and, you know, Tara has a deep team that has been healthy all season. They, you know, the fact that they weathered this, if you look at how many games Stanford's played now compared to some other teams, right? Like Stanford's up above 30 games now. Nobody, who else has played 30 games yeah. in this UConn season? Yeah, UConn will have played 30 if they win it all. I right. Mean, I mean, but they're up above 30 games already. I mean, even the Pac-12, when you looked at how many more games, even with all the road tripping and the nomad and that whole story, Stanford's played as much together as anybody has in the country, um, you know, and they've weathered a situation that, you know, with the nomad thing, I think the nomad story is a great story, but there's one more thing I want to say about that. Thank you to Stanford for making that possible for them to do that, because how many schools in that situation would have just said our season is over and it happened. San Jose State is right down the road. They are a state college and they couldn't continue because they couldn't figure out they couldn't navigate what Stanford's resources were able to navigate. So I just want to acknowledge that, too. It's a great story made possible by the resources at Stanford and what they put into women's basketball because of what Tara's done with that program and because they're, you know, a, a women's sports Olympic sports school. But that happened because Stanford made that happen because a lot of other programs would have folded up the tent and said, can't do it can't make this work, can't afford to put our entire team and their staff on the road for 70 days. I have no idea how much that cost, but we can imagine. And that was Stanford's investment. And, you know, so as a women's basketball fan, I think we should appreciate that. But I also think we should acknowledge it because it just wouldn't have been the same for another program. Okay. We could talk about game one forever, but we can't <laughs> we have to get to game two. So I'm going to go to Alexa. Just finish this sentence for me. South Carolina beat Stanford if Oh, it's going to be a long sentence. Um, so I talked about Leah Boston. I'm going to just give some love or give some attention to the guards from South, South Carolina. Cause I think Zaya Cook and Destiny Henderson also need to have really strong games to beat, um, to beat Stanford. So I'll leave it at that. Okay. And can we should... just add that? Uh, can we just add that Aaliyah Boston needs to actually score? In this game, she only had 10 points in the game against Texas. And we know that's not a typical Aaliyah Boston game. So can we just have her score? <laughs> yeah, but in her defense, she really didn't have to score that much against Texas. Facts. Okay, okay. We know she's capable. So Michelle, to you, Stanford gets into the championship game against South Carolina if? Oh, Stanford gets into the championship game. Honestly, if they do what they've been doing, if they are less than what they've been doing, if they play a first half like they played against Louisville, they're going to have a long day. But if they do what they've been doing, if they capitalize on their depth, if they can hit you, if they can score from all five positions plus the four kids that have coming off the bench, you know, I think that Stanford is an offensive team that wins the day against a defensive team, particularly if, Aaliyah Boston is their sort of their defensive target. 
Okay, so we have broken down the first semifinal matchup between Stanford and South Carolina, which sets us up for the nightcap, which has all of the makings, especially if you like guard play. We are talking about Arizona into the Final Four for the first time in program history and the juggernaut. That is the University of Connecticut. Alexa, are you tired of covering Connecticut in a Final Four? Is it getting old? <laughs> well, it's funny because this is actually my first tournament I've ever covered because I started last year was my first season. And oh. obviously the tournament got canceled. So okay. I guess, I don't know how you would count last year's tournament getting canceled, but I guess I'm one for one in uh, covering Final Fours for, you know, UConn teams I've covered. So um, we'll see if that ends in a championship or in disappointment. But uh, no, I, I've been enjoying it. And uh, especially after that thrilling game, and we, we spent a while talking off air about how crazy that Baylor-UConn game was. But uh, I think we're in for a treat this weekend. Okay, so I think, and Michelle, I would love your opinion on this. Arizona, and particularly Ari McDonald, is lighting up like a Christmas tree because nobody has seen her before. I think the COVID stoppage last year is actually helping Arizona shock the world in San Antonio because nobody had seen her outside of the Pac-12, pretty much. I mean, she had a game against Texas, which ended up being her career high at 44 points. Um, but beyond that, nobody on a national scale had really appreciated what Ari brings to the table, the speed, the ability to create off the bounce, and to, be, and to be able to hit threes. Uh, Michelle, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree. I think that it's, um, and what's interesting is I've been watching Ari just show out over these last few games and really show the country and, you know, and WNBA coaches, um, you know, the quickness and just the savviness and the defensive intensity and all of those things that she brings to the game. But I think it, I've been thinking it's been interesting because she's been scoring at such a clip that it's almost made me wonder, you know, there have been points during Aries career and even points this season where if she carries too much of the scoring load, they don't win because it's too much airy. Right. And so, and these last couple of games have kind of interestingly been a, the opposite of that. And I'm wondering against a team of UConn's caliber, if too much airy is going to not be a good thing for them. They need Sam Thomas to hit a couple of big shots. They need Kate Reese. Kate Reese's scoring average is way down. And against a UConn team that can score, that isn't going to work. Air can't do this by herself. Not against a team of UConn's caliber. So as much as, you know, as much as Aerie's going to show out, as much as this is going to be about that guard storyline and Aerie, if it's too much Aerie, Arizona's not going to have a shot of winning this game, I think. Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, I will say in leading up to this opportunity against Connecticut, that the role players have stepped up. They have hit their shots when needed. Trinity mm -hmm. Baptiste, Bendu Yaney, Kate Reese, on occasion, she's not hitting at her average, but when they need a bucket, she has been able to get to the rim. Um, and Sam Thomas has been fantastic from distance and her right. defense has been incredible. And that has to happen. That has to happen against UConn. That's not a, gosh, we hope that the role players step up you know, it, it's a must. Absolutely agree with you 1000%. Big props to uh, the fact that in this final four, we have two women of color, uh, two black women in the final four as head coaches. And of course, Adia Barnes making up the uh, other half of that against Don Staley, the other side of the bracket. 
that Adia Barnes is in this position is so remarkable. I had my little thing stenciled out. I thought they might be able to get to the final four if things broke their way, like NC State getting eliminated early, which did happen. Thank you, Indiana. Um, but still, it just feels like this dream come true deal as well. And Adia has an opportunity. I mean, she's already set so many firsts, but she is the first first time head coach to take a team to a final four. And on the men's side, you have to go back to 1989 when Steve Fisher was an interim with Michigan and led them to a final four. So it, this just doesn't happen. So Alexa, you deal with a coach who's been there, done that. Um, what do you think the advantage is for Gino Ariema against Adia in this matchup? Well, it's so fascinating, this matchup, because if you look at probably the makeup of the teams, like Arizona obviously hasn't been here, but only Kristen Williams and Olivia Nelson Adota have played in a final four out of all those UConn players. Paige Beckers hasn't played in a final four, Leah Edwards, Avina Westbrook. They're, this is their first time too. And so when you do think about it, I do think, you know, Gino was asked this the other day and he basically answered it by saying I've seen every situation imaginable I mean he's this is his 21st final four appearance um UConn has been in 13 straight now um and he you know he said even the Baylor game was a harder game to win than some of the national championships that they've won which is I mean if you looked at that game if you looked at some of their national titles then you could see why he would say that so um and, I, and that's no knock against Zadia who I think has done an amazing job and it's no knock against Arizona, who I think is an amazing team. And Ari, I'm so excited to see how she shows out against UConn. But um, Gino has just been in that position time and time and time again. And even though his players are so young, and I think you could kind of even see it a little bit in the Baylor game. He made some kind of joke where they all kind of panicked in the third quarter and they turned to him. And, you know, as much as maybe they think they know what he, he made some sort of comment where he was like, they think they're way better than they actually are. But then when they actually need me, then they turn to me and I'm like, help, help. <laughs> Um, so you, I mean, as much as he joked about that, you did see that, um, that kind of shift. And I, I don't think that some, something like that happens if you don't have, I mean, a page backers, but also a coach like Gino, who is able to kind of been, he's been in all those situations before and he knows how to handle the pressure and knows how to handle the moment and knows how to get his team to the finish line and fin again, really finished. I mean, not that we don't want to be too premature here. And I would be fascinated to see if this holds up against maybe a Stanford, but He's also 11-0 national title games, which I think is one of the craziest stats of all. Yeah, you know what's into that game, and he doesn't lose it. Yeah, you know what's interesting is that for Adia to come in as a new coach in this situation and bring her team into the Final Four for the first time, there's usually a lot of things to be distracted by. There are dinners and hoopla and red carpet, right? The, like the big red carpet events and tons of media and tons of time spent on that. And all of that is to use a word that Tara used today, muted because of the COVID, because of this is a COVID tournament. So how much more time, I'm just sort of fascinated by like, you know, I remember a few Kelly Graves and Oregon shows up the first time and, you know, and I had a conversation with him going in and he was like, what am I going to expect? And I was like, the things are going to be flying at you the whole time. And it's going to feel like you don't get to focus on the game you're about to coach because there's award ceremonies and there are all those things, but this isn't that. And so I think Adia is going to have some time and her team's going to have some time to dig in and focus on the game because there isn't quite as much hoopla around it. And I wonder how that, you know, there's no way to know how that plays out, but I think it's also interesting because it's yeah. different and there's not going to be as many pulls on their time and their attention 
And it, they're going to be able to spend more time preparing for the game, I think, than they would in a usual Final Four situation. To Arizona's absolute credit, after losing to UCLA in the Pac-12 tournament, they got together as a team and had a meeting. Like, what do we want the rest of this run to look like? And they got on the same page. And I think that's a big part of the reason why they are in the Final Four and ready to compete against UConn for a shot to get to the championship game. As I look at this matchup, I'm terrified because of the extra pieces that Connecticut has. It's not just Paige Beckers. It's not just Adota. Westbrook, I think, is going to be the key to this. Because as I look at who can match up against who, it's Westbrook, who's been a little up and down. If she decides that she's going to be up Friday night, that could be very problematic for Arizona. Uh, in talking with my Arizona sources, I guess Ari McDonald is going to take the defensive assignment against Paige Beckers. That's initially how it's going to start out. And if I'm Gino Ariama, I am posting Paige Beckers up. I don't know if she has a post-up game, but I would like to find out because that would be the advantage. That would take away Ari's size or part, size disadvantage, and it would also take away her speed. She can't use her speed down on the post. She can use it at the top of the key and get into passing lanes and get live ball turnovers. So um, as you look at the defensive breakdowns, Alexa, what pops out at you? So, you know, UConn's go-to lockdown defender has actually been Kristen Williams this season. And she was the one who drew the assignment on Caitlin Clark and she held Caitlin Clark to 21 points on 21 shots, which was, a, you know, that's a, a generally efficient shooter, pretty inefficient. And so I, you know, at first glance, you think, okay, well, maybe Kristen will get, um, get the defensive assignment on Aerie. I'm, I, I would be interested to see. I think they could switch things up, though, because she's so quick, right? And I don't think even Kristen has seen anyone with that quickness, right, with that quickness to this point this season. And there's a reason why Gino called Aerie the most dominant guard he thinks that the team will have faced um, this season. And so I wouldn't be surprised if they throw Avina Westbrook on her at times, if um, maybe Aubrey Griffin comes in off the bench just to throw different looks at her. The other big kind of X factor here for UConn is what happens with Nika Mule, who is their um, kind of defensive-minded perimeter um, player who has been out since uh, the high point game, the first round game with his uh, high ankle sprain. And her status is still uncertain for Friday, but if she can play and if she can play hundred percent, I would also think that they'd throw her out there as a de another defender. So they have options, but I, I think it all goes back to what we were talking about before. It's going to be how much the other role players are able to step up for Arizona. And if you can, can take them out as well. Um, I agree. Then I, I don't think that's an Arizona's advantage, even if Ari has 30, 35 points. Right. Alexa, what surprised you about Connecticut so far in this tournament run? I think what's probably surprised me the most is how they haven't shown their youth. I know I talked about that a lot earlier, but you know, you just weren't sure how they were going to respond to being on the big stage and, you know, an NCAA tournament with not only just this bizarre tournament setup, like we've talked about, but also the fact that their head coach was like out with COVID for the first week of it. And then had to, I mean, it worked out for them, obviously that he was able to rejoin them for the sweet 16 and on, but they really rolled with the punches and they're such a close knit tight group that that's, I think what's really allowed them. And, and obviously Gino and Chris Daly run that program um, to really rely on 
consistency and routine. And I am sure that that's exactly what they were trying to do as much as possible in such a very bizarre time again. But the fact that they were able to kind of roll with the punches and respond to every challenge, whether it's on the court or off the court, that's been thrown their way, despite their youth, that's been very impressive to me. Michelle, how would you characterize Arizona's run in the tournament? Um, I, I think that they put it together, right? They came off the Pac-12 tournament. They were disappointed about losing to UCLA. Like you said, they got themselves together. And then they brought that together into the tournament. Um, and then Ari just said, yep, get on my back. We're going, I'm taking you as far as I can take you. Right. And so, and, you know, and I think Adia has been calm and cool and collected and she's met the moment with, you know, like she's been there before. That's what's interesting to me is, you know, even in those closing moments. And I wrote about this when I wrote my story for um, pac12.com, they're, they're obviously going to win that that elite eight game in the final, you know, like the minute they're up and, and Adia's trying to talk to them, like stay like, you know, like it's any other late game situation and the crowd is starting to hop up and down and the kids, you can just tell are starting to vibrate a little bit, right? Like, like they know. And Adia's like, no, we're finishing. We're going to do this. She's got her five minute war, you know, way that they look at the game five minutes at a time. But I think Adia's coach, like she's been here a million times. And so I think that that's a part of it too. And she's setting a tone for them. Like, you know, let's be, let's behave like we've been here before, which brings me to, by the way, I just want to say, Cindy, yeah. Arizona is the sixth PAC 12 team to be in the final four since 2013. That's since great. I moved to the footprint. Since I moved back to the footprint. <laughs> that is six different PAC 12 teams have made the final four since 2013. Yeah. So yeah. for anybody who still thinks this is Stanford and everybody else, I mean, I think Oregon busted that bubble a couple of years ago with such a great team, but you know, it's been calming to final four, Oregon state, Oregon, Washington, now Arizona, Stanford, six teams out of this conference since 2013. That's not that long ago. And so I just want to shout that out too, because I think that the PAC 12 is playing at a level in, you know, across the country and kids are staying and playing in PAC 12 schools that would have left and gone to play on the East coast, or it's just, I think it's an extraordinary era for the PAC 12 in terms of women's basketball. And everybody's getting better. I mean, Washington state broke into the top 25 for the first time in program history earlier this season and made the NCAA tournament for 30 years. I think it's just a testament again to what Tara Vandeveer has done for this conference. She wants all the boats to rise. She's a big believer in iron sharpening iron. And I think the fact that the final four is comprised of half of Pac-12 teams, I mean, that, that just speaks volumes to how far this conference has come from the days that you mentioned, Michelle, just where it was Stanford and everybody else back, you know, when it was the Pac-10 in particular. So this is cool to see. So I think that brings us to prediction times. So Alexa, I'm going to start with you. Who is going to win the matchup between the three seed Arizona and the one UConn? So I'm going to go with UConn. Um, I just think I'm that shocked. I'm shocked. <laughs> Shocker. No idea you were going to say UConn. None. Uh, I just think they have too many pieces. Um, that is really going to be hard for Arizona to, um, to match up against. So that is my prediction and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> no, I like that Alexa, because like I was, I said, I, I can see Paige and Ari canceling each other out. I was kind of look at that when I get 
ready to call a game, like, all right, here's your two scores. They're going to be off the table. So who is going to step up and, and feel? And I just think UConn might have a couple more people in those roles that could be critical. But Michelle, I'm going to turn it to you. What I, think you, I, I think UConn too. I think, I hope it's going to be, I hope it's going to be a great game. I hope that Erin McDonald is going to continue to show the country what an extraordinary talent she is because we're going to get to see her in a few weeks, starting with the WNBA draft and into the WNBA season. Um, but I think that, you know, UConn is playing at a level that, you know, I think that say Stanford is playing at. And if you want to measure UConn's ability to play, or I mean, Arizona's ability to play at that level, I don't know that we've seen it yet. I mean, it's just, I, I, I want to see it, but I think it's, I hope it's going to be a great game, but I still think it's going to be UConn. I hope it's going to be a great game as well. Uh, I have been on the Arizona train this entire time. I am not getting off. Even though my head is telling me, you know the statistics, don't be a dummy and risk your credibility. There's just something special. And I think that matters on this stage. And everybody has picked against Arizona to this point. So many people were picking against them, against Indiana, which I thought was stunning. Um, so I, I'm going to stay on the Arizona train. And I'm also going to give a shout out to WNBA players. Get into coaching. Half of the final four uh -huh. has won at the WNBA level. We need more WNBA coaches in the college game as well. So I think uh, that's a good place to put a pin in it. I'm going to go with the Wildcats. If anything, just so I can sit next to my broadcast partner, Joan Bombasini, next season and not get punched in the arm. And, uh, and again, hoping for a good game. And then predictions again for the first game. I'm Stanford. Michelle, you're Stanford. Stanford. I, I would just like to point out that my selections have an all Pac-12 final. So you know where I'm coming from. <laughs> oh, I think Stanford too. I think Stanford won that game. So Stanford. Oh, Alexa. Okay. I thought yeah. we were okay. I thought oh, I was, I'm, I'm the only one picking up so this. I, I was gonna say, all right. So T is on an island with the Gamecocks. I'm on an island. Strictly for the purposes that my already trash ruined bracket has <laughs> Had South Carolina win it all, and I just got to stand by what I said. So right. there we are. <laughs> but here's the deal. How awesome is it that all of our brackets have had, you know, some tattering going on? It speaks oh. to the parity. Mm -hmm. It speaks to how many good teams are out there and the level of play. I mean, I look at Beckers, and I see Sabrina. And I thought, I wasn't going to see another Ionescu for a generation. I mean, a 2,000, 1,000, 1,000. And now that looks like an extreme possibility unless she leaves early. I mean, it's, it's crazy. That's a different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to do a whole other pod on that. That's a whole other podcast. podcast. A whole well, this is, podcast. This is me just planting seeds so I get invited back, people. Come Absolutely. on. Absolutely. <laughs> because you know what? That dangerous territory that you're walking in is the territory that opens up the door for this one and done conversation that we yeah. are now starting to have in women's basketball. So we're going to need a whole 30 minutes on that alone. <laughs> I love it. Well, thanks so much, everybody, for uh, participating and uh, letting me get my act together after walking my dog really quick. Uh, I think it's been a phenomenal tournament so far, and I cannot wait to see what unfolds this weekend. Likewise. Thank you, ladies.
so, so much for joining us, everyone. Please make sure that you follow all these wonderful women on Twitter. Cindy, please tell the people where they can find you. I'm at Cindy Brunson, AZ. Alexa, where are you? I'm at Alexa Philippine. And Michelle, where are you? At MaxSmith413. And I just have to also let you know that my actual Alexa wanted you guys to know where she was too, because when I said your name, (laughs) she decided to say, I'm right here. So there we are. We're all accounted for. (laughs) You guys can find us at I am at She Knows Sports. LaChina is at LaChina Robinson. You can find the show at Around the Rim Pod. You can also contact us on Gmail at Around the Rim Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much. We are looking forward to a great Final Four. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.